The draw for the group stage of Italia 90, Ireland's first ever World Cup finals. In the very first draw, and it's the group that I'm sure we'd rather not have had. What worried me more than anything was the mix of the Dutch, the English, and the Irish on an island like Sardinia. It, it caused me, that was my first thoughts, and I'm sure it will have caused a few thoughts in, in, uh, in Italy where they've made the draw today that this is going to happen. And I don't want people to be too depressed that we've got England and Holland in my group and that we've got to go to Sardinia. It's a lovely part of the world and you must enjoy it. And we will certainly go and enjoy it. And uh, I hope that the English, the Dutch and the Irish can stay friends and enjoy the occasion without there being any aggravation. You're unbelievable. Italia 90 was to be Jack Charlton's finest hour as the Republic of Ireland went football crazy. And by its end, it was reckoned that every Irish household had three pictures on their walls. The Pope, JFK and Charlton. Some called for his canonisation. Canonisation? You couldn't have done that to me anyway, I'm a Protestant. You're unbelievable. There was the small matter, however, of actually qualifying for the Italian-based tournament. But Jack Charlton's aim of making the finals didn't start well as they began their campaign in September 1988 with a scoreless draw at Windsor Park against Northern Ireland, followed by a 2-0 defeat away to Spain in November of that year. Not the best of starts, but with four games to come at home, there was still hope that Charlton's side could still qualify. It was a poor start. They had that nil-nil draw against Northern Ireland, and then they lost in Spain, and then they went to Budapest and they drew nil-nil. So three matches, no goals. Four consecutive victories in front of a packed Lansdowne Road in Dublin between April and October 1989 reignited Ireland's qualification aspirations. The big one, a one-nil win over group leaders Spain. And it's still heightened. Men in the middle. Whelan's there. And Frank Stapleton has done it. Wins over Malta, Hungary and against Northern Ireland meant that victory away to Malta in the final game would seal the Republic's tickets to Italia 90. A huge travelling army arrived in Valletta on November the 15th, 1989, many showing up at the ground with their suitcases under their arms due to flight chaos to see the Republic of Ireland face the Maltese. It was a, an occasion when the Irish flooded the place. The Maltese wouldn't be... Uh, you know, a big footballing nation. Uh, they were as curious about the fans as they were about the football team. Uh, and it was all set up. And it's John Aldridge against Reggie Cheney. It's 2 0. We've won the game. We've, we've qualified for the go to Italy and we've done it ourselves. I'm absolutely delighted, not only for me, for the lads and for all the fans, everything. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. A memorable night uh, in Valletta. Uh, lovely memories of Malta at that time and what it meant to the to the Irish nation, indeed. The fact that the team had now qualified for the really big one, a European Championship in the bag, uh, qualification that is, and now qualification for the World Cup. Uh, what more could you ask as a fan? Despite falling out with a number of players and having his tactics questioned by a section of the media, and Eamon Dunphy in particular, the vast majority of the public and bandwagon jumpers backed the manager to the hilt. He had now, after all, qualified for two major finals in a row. It wasn't pretty, but it was effective. 
obviously success uh, attracts it breeds success but it also attracts uh, a bandwagon uh, it, 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 it fills the bandwagon and I think that it was the place to be uh, that summer was going to be the place to be uh, was in Italy because if the Irish team was going to be there then everybody had to be there uh, it, Italy, one of the great homes of international football. I mean, it couldn't have fallen better. It wasn't too far away. It wasn't going to cost uh, an arm and a leg. Uh, and also, it was the, I suppose, the shirt to wear, for want of a better way of putting it, because everybody was feeling very positive about the Irish team. And it's just understandable, I suppose, that uh, those who had made their names in, in other areas would want to attach themselves to what was now the fashion item, the Irish shirt. That's a green shamrock. How did yeah. you get that done? Uh, we got it on a local barber, we did. It's actually carved out of your hair. Yeah, that's it. That's a fairly serious step. Oh, yeah. Had to be done. Had to fly the flag. <laughs> One player who wouldn't be going was the mercurial Liam Brady, who had missed Euro 88 due to suspension and injury. Still regarded as the best midfielder to put on the Irish green shirt, Brady's tempestuous relationship with Charlton ended in 1989 when the manager took him off before half-time in a World Cup build-up game against West Germany in Dublin. Liam looked knackered, so I brought him off. I maybe should and probably should have left it at half-time, but I didn't want to put the game at risk. We finished up drawing 1-1 against the West Germans, which was a little bit of a feather in your cap anyway, to, to draw with the West Germans. And, uh, and Liam was a bit upset at being brought off before the half-time. In retrospect, I would have done exactly what I did. Because I did the job that I was there to do, which is win matches. Liam got his, had had his audience, and uh, but he didn't like me for a while. But I think once he became a manager, he understood the problems. And I get on much better with Liam now. The Republic were drawn in Group F alongside Egypt, the Netherlands and England. The months leading up to the finals were frenetic as the excitement began to build. I don't want to scare off all your listeners, Vincent, but Palermo, it has to be remembered, Palermo is the mafia capital of the world. This is a city which um, has a turnover of about $10 billion worth of heroin trade, which supplies two-thirds of the USA uh, heroin uh, on the streets in the USA, which uh, in the last 24 hours we've had reports uh, from Palermo of police uh, on the information that they were given by a, a former mafia godfather who's turned state's witness, uh, police went and did a bit of digging and found bones of various bodies, various Mafia victims. This is a city where the Mafia kill uh, anything from 150 to 200 people a year. It's the Dodge city of Italy. It's a um, place where I advise Irish tourists, if they're staying in, in uh, Palermo, not to leave any goods, any valuables in their hotel, uh, and to be very careful of um, pickpockets and uh, just to be, keep, to be, uh, to be uh, alive and alert all the time. Paddy Agnew telling us we're going to Italy. How many kids in this group? There's... About ten. How are you going to keep track of them all? Ah, oh, sure, we're all mummies and daddies and children too, so why not? Are you a football supporter? I am, I have no choice. I have a house full of football fanatics. They started off at Liverpool and now they're all Ireland. Did you have any choice in deciding on this uh, trip? Well, I went along. <laughs> went along, why not? money invested though? Yeah, probably, yeah. It is, it is a hard one, but we all got it together for about two years. During the European matches, we decided that we'd, why not try and go to Italy with all the atmosphere around the local pub. This so is a good not, start, though, isn't it? Brilliant, absolutely. We got a great turnout from the local pub. And uh, they were all down to see us off today. It was absolutely fantastic. The neighbours, the friends, the families, the relations. Brilliant for the kids. Brilliant, absolutely. Have you made a trip like this before? No. Looking forward to it? 
You're going to have to do a lot of singing. Yeah, very lot. You know all the songs, do you? Most of them, anyway. There was a problem, however. Officials from the Football Association of Ireland are expected to meet representatives of the World Cup soccer squad tomorrow to try to sort out the row over bonus payments. Charlie Bird. Just days before the World Cup squad heads off to Italy, an embarrassing row has broken out over players' bonus payments. The FAI has increased the appearance fee for an international game from £250 to £500. This afternoon, the president of the FAI, Fran Fields, said he believed a compromise could be worked out with the players. I am on their side, but I also have to think about the Football Association and I have to use common sense and uh, I feel that uh, we can come to a compromise about this and, and everybody will be happy. They know that at a time of great prosperity for the Football Association of Ireland, they're still playing for a match fee that in relative terms isn't even as anywhere near what we used to play for in the early and mid-60s when we, were, when we weren't doing very well. Dunphy's reaction was the prelude to a World Cup where he was to make his name as a pundit as the fans headed for Sicily and Sardinia. Another honeymoon couple here. That's right, that's right. We got married on Monday in Kinsale and uh, we're going for three weeks. We're that was very off. good of you to uh, tie it in with the World Cup. Well, we phoned up the Pope and he said that he could organise something for us, so uh, <laughs> we've got special dispensation for it, you know. It's a pure coincidence. Total coincidence, you know, and uh, my wife now she's a great football fan, so. <laughs> you, you say that uh, with a, a smile. You, you expect she'll be a better football fan when she comes back. I think so, yeah. She uh, she was at her first match there, the Finland match, and she enjoyed it thoroughly, so uh, we're looking forward to a good time. But it'll be a good crack. It'll be sun and drink and everything, a bit of everything mixed up. How many of you travelling? 40. 40. 40. Uh, husbands, wives, kids. Uh, the whole of And when did this package come together? This package came together about 18 months ago. There's a lot of money invested in this. There's not a lot of money invested in this. Yeah. You're talking anything up to about £3,000 a family. But, uh, and nobody owes a penny when we come back. We're just seeing off a few of your mates. Yes, I know, yeah, but you said the thing about what it is, is that I won't be saying they're coming back to be arrested. You'd like to be with them? Yeah, almost, yeah, but unfortunately the girl in the Labour Exchange said she wouldn't give me the money to go. You know? <laughs> that Irish supporter wasn't the only one left behind. Gary Waddock's lifelong dream was to play in a World Cup, and he was in the Irish squad before being pulled aside by Jack Charlton at the airport. The former Irish international Niall Quinn explains. We got to, to Rome. I think it was Rome where, where the airport we arrived in and waiting for our bags to come around. Jack pulled Gary over to one side. No one had any idea. Jack, came, uh, Jack walked away. Gary looked ashen-faced and picked his bags up, didn't say goodbye to anybody, started crying in the corner and walked out the door. He has to make big decisions, and one one that I didn't agree with, obviously, for for a, for a number of different reasons. But um, he made it, and uh, I've had to I've had to uh, live with it and get over it. Uh, I just sensed it; it wasn't right. You know, a squad was named leading up to that. Um, you know, we had our track suits and suits, etc. Um, you know, for for a, a World Cup campaign, and I had all of that. But there was just a nagging doubt there. Um, and my roommate um, at the time, uh, I spoke to him regarding it, and he said, "No, don't be so silly." You, who, who was uh, it? Bernie Slaven. He said, "Don't uh, you know? I don't know why you're thinking along them lines. No, you're part of this group." But uh, I just had a nagging, nagging doubt, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I was right. We were all stunned by what had happened. We weren't sure why. And then the next door opened, and Alan McLaughlin came in. He'd just come off a flight, having been involved with Swindon in their playoff 
With Wadock out and McLaughlin in, the attention turned to the opening game of Italia 90. And there was tight security in Cagliari ahead of the England match. Security is all pervasive here in Cagliari. Really, this is really the subject of conversation everywhere one goes. Uh, indeed, in one of the local Italian papers this morning, there's a report of the Irish manager, Jack Charlton, being uh, rather critical of the over-emphasis on security here in Cagliari. And uh, to us as Irish people, who tend to get a rather good reception here, uh, we, we, we look at the situation and see perhaps uh, something of an overreaction because everywhere in the Sardinian papers, the words hooligan and hooliganism have entered into the national language. Just to give you an example of it, uh, an Italian was telling me yesterday that up to now, up to relatively recently, the Italian word for soccer supporter was tifosi, uh, which generally means a person infected with some form of typhus. But even that word is not strong enough to cover what the Sardinians expect from the English supporters. So they reach for the word hooligan and for the description hooliganism. First up on June the 11th, 1990, was against the old enemy. Such was the clamour to see the game. The RDS in Dublin set up his own mini-stadium to beam the matches live. The summer of 1990 was party time in Ireland. Well, it's just got to 8 o'clock at any second now. It'll be kick-off time here in the RDS. The atmosphere is unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like it, either in or outside a real soccer stadium. The fans, you know, once again surpassed themselves and, and their support for the team. It, it was just incredible. And I would, I would go as far as to say, as it was our first World Cup, we, we were novices in many respects. But that gave us a bit of an edge too because we weren't afraid. There was no fear when we got there. It was an adventure for us. And like everything else we did, we did it as a group, we did it as a unit, and it was, it was another enjoyable Another really enjoyable night on all those ones that we had over them, them years. Bobby Robson's side were expected to beat Ireland and they took an early lead through an eight-minute goal from Gary Lineker. For Lineker, oh danger here! And Lineker almost there! And Gary Lineker is there! And England are in front! It was a, a bullet out of the blue. Gary Lineker got a good break when he went past... If he had chested the ball properly, it would have gone to Paggy. But he didn't, he chested it and he sort of slid away from him. And, and it went in net. It was a bad blow because it's, it's an uphill battle. And to get, you've got to score two to win the game. It's an uphill battle. I wasn't pleased with the goal. I don't mind people getting goals against us if it's something that you, you can't stop. But I thought it was a lack of concentration on our part in a game where we, you could not afford lacks of concentration. That goal looked like being enough for England. That was until the 73rd minute. One by Butcher. Now here's Sheedy. People have told me, you know, they've named pets, dogs and cats after me, you know, <laughs> the, the kids. And uh, I get told there's stories, you know, people have been in toilets when the goal's gone and they've, they've ran out sort of thing, you know, and just different things, where they were, what they were doing when I scored the goal. So it's a piece of history that nobody will be able to take, take away from me. Gary, very different to, to the game in Stuttgart when England got the early break and you must have thought it was going to be decisive. Well, we hope so, but um, of course the Irish, they showed tremendous spirit. They just kept battling and putting the long ball into the box and... Um, I suppose eventually it paid off. I'm a bit disappointed to have lost the extra point, but um, 
Hopefully, I mean, both teams can get a good result in the last in one of the next two games, and, and both of us go through. It came away. There wasn't, you know, there was more work to be done. We knew that, but there was a, a real feeling of uh, we deserve to be in this big stage. We, we showed England uh, that we can match them out there. We beat them in '88, and uh, you know, nobody else should should send any fear through us. And, and that's what I remember coming out there. And coming out of the game, we felt we now have a chance to qualify. It may only have been a draw. But Ireland and those at the RDS were ecstatic. Smile off Robson's face. We did. We did. We did. All the way, all the way. With the, with the. I was very dodgy in the middle there for a while. No, I never a doubt in my mind. Never a doubt. <laughs> what is this guy? Every time England make a substitute, we always score. Ole, 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 ole. And go through to the next round. Go to the next uh, who'd want to be in Cagliari? It's more fun here at home. That was so a point was secured, and on the 21st of June, it was off to Palermo to face the unknown Egyptians, who, like Ireland, were playing in their first ever World Cup finals. Reporter Gabriel Egan was dispatched to Cairo to gauge the mood of our opponents. This man beside you will, uh, <coughs> just lighting his cigarette now. We won't interrupt him. <coughs> you will be in Italy, you hope. I hope, yes. Mm. Yeah. Lo- no, you think go, Egypt will come go. out of their group anyway, into the second phase? Yeah, yeah second yeah. phase. Yeah. What That's would they need to do to, do, to to achieve that, do you think, in the uh, three matches? They, at least they must get three points yes. or four points. And who do, you one, see them, one, who do you see them getting those points from? With uh, what do we expect? Second match is with Ireland or with uh, England? England. Oh, oh, oh. You know, oh. With England, second match with England or Ireland? Ireland. With Ireland. Ireland. Second yeah. match is Ireland. Yeah, and in the end, uh, how do you think you'll one of these two matches we will win, and the other we will draw. Right, right. So you'll beat. You think you will draw against Holland? Uh, Holland, and, and another we will Ireland beat either or England, Ireland or, or England. England. Yeah, and we will well, draw with the other. Can I ask you especially? Sure. Yeah. Don't beat Ireland. Just beat England. <laughs> the game though was a truly shocking nil-nil draw. Quite anxious about the way things have developed on the pitch. McCarthy's throw. Cascarino rising for the header. Up goes McGrath too. And it might come to Staunton. And rebounding away for the corner. That was rubbish. That was Ireland at their worst when we had the ball and we had it most of the time, but kept giving it away. We should be playing football the way these lads can play football. We haven't got we have the option of having Ronnie Whelan, Liam Brady, and David O'Leary on that pitch. And that would be eight nothing. Now we're not trying to play. It's, it's, it's rubbish. Anyone who sends a team out to play like that should be ashamed of themselves. Has been gained by the Irish, but what it means is that the table stays exactly as it was at the very start of the tournament. Nevertheless, it produced a strong reaction from Charlton in his after-match press conference. Don't tell me about Christian, because I haven't read any of it yet. 
The only, only criticism I've heard from is what you say. As far as I know, I've never read any of it. I haven't heard any of it. We've, we've had a report back that Eamon Dunphy on the television was about as, as much relevance to us as a fly on the windowsill. As, uh, and, and Giles, he wasn't very pleased. You know, that's the criticism we've heard. Shameful and embarrassing, said Eamon Dunphy. And Jack Charlton put all the blame for what was one of the most boring games ever seen in the competition, firmly on the Egyptian. I was over the top in terms of cool and detached commentary, but the World Cup panel on RTE is not about cool and detached commentary. It's actually about expressing what you feel at the time. It's live television and you respond to events. So I think I was, I think in terms of my um, projection of what I had to say, of course I was over the top a little bit, uh, but it was genuine. So two draws and all to play for. The third match of Group F was against the Netherlands on June the 21st, also in Palermo. You know, the, the Egypt game, the lads didn't play very well. I think the England game was, was a game where nobody gave anything away and it, it, each team cancelled each other out. Uh, the lads got a point. Uh, I didn't play. The Egypt game, we were expected to win comfortably and didn't. And suddenly things were getting a bit edgy and Jack made a bold, brave decision. He, he dropped Tony Cascarino and put me in. Typical Jack, we got in the bus, went to the stadium, we walked out on the pitch. Uh, nobody had said anything to me, and I thought, well, that's a sure sign, he'd have told me by now. And I was walking back in, probably to go and find my jersey up at the subs bit, when um, he just he just said, uh, you know what I'm looking for you, from you, don't you? And I, and I kind of said to him, well, am I playing? He went, has nobody told you you're playing? And I went, no, he went, Morris, he's only blamed Morris Sarris for not telling me that I was playing. And uh, maybe it was his idea again of not having me nervous, because um, I didn't know literally till about three quarters of an hour before the game. The Dutch got off to a great start and took the lead with a goal from the great Ruth Hullett after 10 minutes. Rather like the England game, Ireland applied greater pressure in the second half. And after 71 minutes, Niall Quinn slid the ball home from close range. And my first thought, and I was like, thank you, Pat Rice, because Pat Rice was my youth team coach, and he noticed very early on in my career that I didn't follow in shots on goal. And he got onto me and onto me and onto me, and he said, one day you'll thank me. It worked twice for me, two very important moments for me. My debut for uh, Arsenal in 1985, uh, Bruce Grobler dropped one, and I ran in, and um, I got double payment then for, for Pat Rice's coaching by... Uh, by getting the big goal against Holland that night, Van Broeklen, um, I think as, as one of the reporters said, threw it to me. England beat Egypt 1-0 in the other game in the group. And as a result, Ireland, England and the Netherlands made the last 16. And for Jack Charlton's squad, it was off to Genoa for a meeting with Romania. For the Irish supporters, the scramble for tickets and flights began. Well, as even the most disinterested citizen is aware, Ireland's World Cup carnival continues with the next crucial encounter against the Romanians in Genoa tomorrow afternoon. Over a thousand people are due to fly out on one and two day special charters and we've been talking to some of them about why they were prepared to pay inflated prices to go. I want the Republic of Ireland plane. Well, well about it. Only once in a lifetime. Now, you're paying £50 for a ticket that's probably worth about £10. Yeah. But still, if I went over there, I'd sell that ticket now for probably 200 quid. But I wouldn't. Even if I got a thousand. I think it's great, yeah. Would have paid more. Where have you come from? Cork. And how much have you paid for your ticket? Uh, very little. 
It's well worth it. Thank you for that information. It's very expensive. 160 pounds. 160. That's it, okay? And how much for your flight? Um... 390. Where did you pay 160 pounds for a ticket? Cork. It sounds very expensive. Very expensive. Now, is it worth paying out up to 500 pounds? Yes. 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 <laughs> why not? Like, it's, one, it's a historic occasion, so why not? You know? When are we going to get a chance again? Johnny Joyce takes over as manager, we'll never qualify again, you know? Meanwhile in Genoa this morning, Dr Tony O'Neill of the FAI was continuing his search for tickets for the Irish fans already in Italy. At this moment, Vincent, we're close on 3,000, uh, but we're, we're obviously hoping that uh, some of our efforts will bear fruit in the next few hours. It, it appears that the cooperation that the Romanians can afford us is very little because it seems that they haven't ordered too many tickets. Uh, it's very difficult to speak to them, and um, we're still trying to get through to the important people in the Romanian delegation. Jack used to repeatedly say to us, the number 10 in midfield on the other team has killed Irish teams for 30 years and always will do until we stop that. So his way wasn't to start with five and play one up front on his own. His way was one of the two, as soon as it looked like possession was going to be lost, had to drop in and make up a five. So the number 10 didn't have space. That was the secret of our success, if there is one. Everybody thinks it was the long ball stuff and up to Cascarino, up to Quinn, up to Stapleton, Aldridge will get the knockdowns. Yeah, there was that. But the reality was teams found us difficult to beat. We drew a lot of games. And, and if you look back and you try and dissect it all, nobody has ever come out with us, and I'm really surprised uh, with, with all the, the, the people that were around and involved at the time. We crowded midfield. We were the first team to do it. Go and compete. It was a tense affair, which, after extra time, ended nil-nil. And again, Ireland had drawn at Italia 90. A penalty shootout followed. And Ireland's eighth final against Romania has ended in a scoreless draw. So for the very first time in the history of Irish international soccer, the Republic of Ireland team is involved in a penalty shootout. It was very tense, very tense indeed, because they'd got this far and now they're within touching distance of the last eight. You know, it's especially in that stadium in Genoa, that was an afternoon kickoff and it was very, very hot indeed. And they played 120 minutes in this heat and now, exhausted, dehydrated, they had to try somehow and summon up the mental reserves uh, to deal with this situation. After the first eight penalties, the teams were still tied at 4-4. The last two penalties would be taken by substitutes. Firstly, Daniel Timofti of Romania. And it's now Romania's second substitute, Daniel Timofti. Dynamo Bucharest to step forward. Timofti against Bonner. Yep, the big man from Donegal has set it up. The save that Patley made um, was a ball I would have expected him to save. It wasn't a very good penalty. It wasn't struck with any great power. And it uh, it wasn't done with any great um, intent. And Patley went the right way and saved to got saved. And who is stepping forward to assume the task? In the soap opera of Jack Charlton's tenure was David O'Leary, a man who had a major falling out with the manager over, of all things, the Iceland Cup three years previously had the chance to send Ireland through to the quarter-finals. Was I treated uh, unfairly by Jack Charlton? Yes, unbelievably. You know, I was left out of a trip um, 
in Iceland trip and then because of other people pulled out I was called back in and in that time when I'd been left out I, I'd made other arrangements to do something and um, I couldn't rearrange that and uh, you know I was the one that was made a scapegoat for it really and uh, I feel I don't feel bitter about it I, I think uh, you know uh, Jack made a mistake, a big mistake. He'll never admit it, um, but he was big enough and man enough to call me back about three years later. And who is stepping forward to assume the task in his 52nd international appearance? David O'Leary. Because I couldn't believe it when David O'Leary went to take the penalty. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, no, come on. The extra time took it into uh, news time. The 6-1 news was on, on RTE1, and we were live on, uh, was it Network 2 at the time, on the second TV channel anyway. Uh, and I, I got word in my ear to say that because it was now so dramatic uh, that the RTE1 6-1 news was showing our pictures. And the thought just flashed into my head uh, as I noted this message uh, that nobody in Ireland who was watching TV was watching anything other than this. The nation holds its breath, holds so the nation held its breath. It was simple. Yes, for that! Ireland are through to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I think the Iceland cake was scoring the penalty in, against Romania because that was uh, it was a brilliant thing. I felt very sorry for the for the Romanians. I mean, they had, they had uh, it'd been a hell of a battle the game. In spite of being a, a goalless draw, it was still a hell of a battle and a very, very difficult day. So I was quite delighted that we went through and, uh, and I'd said we'll go to Rome, and we did. Ireland were in the quarterfinals of the World Cup at their first attempt, and it was off to Rome to face the host Italy. But first physio Mick Byrne wanted to meet somebody. The ambition in Mick's life was to go to Rome and meet the Pope. And, and to a certain degree, Charlie O'Leary as well. I mean, the players, they're always a bit sceptical. They can either take it or leave it, you know. But they too wanted to go. And, uh, and, and being the ones that sort of looked forward to it and really wanted it, the lads did give them a bit of stick. But it was all good-hearted. There was nothing nasty about it. And I tried to stand at the back and they kept coming in. I had to go and, and say hello to them. And I was, the, the, the guy came and said, the Pope would like to meet you, Mr. Charlton, you know. So the Irish football team. Best wishes to you. So I went and, and, and he just said to me, I'm Mr. Charlton, the boss. And, and he was, virtually that's all he said. I said, he said, very nice to meet you. And I said, thank you very much, very nice to, to be here. But I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was standing there and I didn't know when to come forward, when to step back. I didn't know what to do. And no matter what your religion, the, the, the Vatican is a, is a, is, it's a, it's a mighty organization. And the Pope is a, is a, is a very um, charismatic man, if I, if I use the right word. And he's someone that, no matter what religion you are, you, you like to meet. And I've got photographs at home that show me on the wall meeting the Pope. And uh, I'm very pleased with the pictures. Footballers mean footballers in, in the circle that we were in, you know, in our close circle. You know, there was a bit of crack too. You know, I can remember Tony Cascarino saying, Mick, will his wife be there? 
you know, and Mick going, blessing himself, going, you heathen, don't you ever dare say that about the Pope, you know. Um, so there was good crack like, like that as well. So it was, it was, again, another part of the, uh, uh, another adventure within the adventure. The adventure had a lot of downtime. Card games, table tennis tournaments were the norm. And it was hard for some. Bernie Slavin missed a loved one at home. Bernie was an unusual character, to say at least. Bernie used to ring his dog every night and talk to his dog on the phone and start going woof, 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 woof. And we'd all be outside the door listening to him in his room, probably going, I'm telling you, he does it every night. You know, we're going, oh my God, you know, that's serious. You know? <laughs> Back in Ireland, the country was in the full grip of World Cup fever. And what are the slogans most in demand? The one we have mostly in demand uh, reads, Diego says it was the hands of God, we say it was the hands of Bonnie. Or um, Jack is more Irish than Dunphy. Jack, 93%, Dunphy, 7%. How are the Ireland flags selling? Ah, they're selling grant. The entrepreneurial flair was not without its problems, however. Why don't the police leave us alone when we're selling? Why, what are the police doing? They chase us and take our stuff off us. Here in the capital, Dublin Bus have decided to withdraw all services from 7 o'clock. Despite protests from publicans, masses have been cancelled. City centre cinemas have decided to close, remembering that more staff than customers turned up for screenings after our victory over Romania. George Hamilton had commentated on all of Ireland's four previous games at Italian 90, but he missed out on calling the Ireland-Italy game. Instead, that fell to fellow commentator Jimmy McGee. No, that was simply because the schedule said that uh, it was Jimmy's game, and that's the way it worked. Were you disappointed you didn't do of it? Of course I was disappointed. Who wouldn't be disappointed? But at the same time, uh, it's, it's not something that you take uh, through your life as a source of huge regret. Thus, on Saturday, June 30th, 1990, at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, in front of a crowd of over 73,000, the Republic faced Italy in the World Cup quarterfinals. On 38 minutes, the deadlock was broken. Ireland had chances to equalise, notably a Niall Quinn header. I didn't get enough on it. Uh, it was a good cross. I got over my man and I headed it towards the top corner. But the goalkeeper, I think it was Zenga, Walter Zenga was the goalkeeper, he read it and he kind of got across there. He didn't even have to dive. He knew where I was heading it. And had I been cleverer, I would have headed it in the other corner. Kevin Sheedy looking for Mick McCarthy Red again. And it's pushing over there and a free kick to Italy. For Ireland's captain, fantastic Mick McCarthy, it was a bitter pill to swallow. There were, there were lots of emotions running through my head. Though. I was very disappointed. I was very frustrated at the referee. I was upset because we'd been beaten. Anger. I mean, I really was angry at it. And all the tears came. I took a lot of consoling. When I, w- I went up into the dressing room, I was still uh, I was still blubbering away there for about half an hour afterwards. Despite reaching the last eight, Ireland had not actually won any of their matches in normal time, and had only scored two goals. The quality of the 1990 World Cup itself was overall a poor one, and Charlton's squad had really overachieved. Fully appreciated by the Irish supporters, who stayed on in the Olympic Stadium long after the final whistle to show their appreciation to Charlton and his squad.
you'd actually think we'd won the World Cup. But when the Irish team returns tomorrow evening, they're assured of a hero's welcome home. The astonishing thing was coming home um, while we were having a bit of fun on the plane. The pilot then asked us all to look out the window. Uh, he'll fly. He flew over Dublin, and if, the, if I remember well, it might have been a double reason why the city was so big. I think Nelson Mandela might have been in Dublin that day, earlier on before us, and he showed us. He got us to look out, and he circled around Dublin. He showed us what looked like hundreds of thousands of ants all around Dublin. Um, and uh, you know, even thinking about that now, I get a lump in my throat because when you look at it, when you think, "Oh my God!" Now, it re now we realise what it meant. You know, when you're over there, you don't really get it. You get some videos, and, and you do know it's it's making something, and a lot of you don't realise how big until you come you home. Don't know how big, and then we come home and got out to the airport. I uh, got out of the plane and um, made our way into town. It was just extraordinary. One of those great memories that we all will, will cherish and keep. While Ireland flew home, Italy were then knocked out by Diego Maradona's Argentina, who went on to contest one of the worst ever World Cup finals. One with a dubious spot kick by West Germany, who'd beaten England in the last four on penalties. It was a real disappointment uh, and a, a sad way to end uh, what should have been the greatest footballing show on earth in 1990. I suppose if, if Euro 88 was coming of age, uh, Italian 90 was getting married. Um, it, it was just another step along the way of personal fulfilment, if you want to put it that way. It, it was a, a great, great time, uh, and it was great to be there, and everybody who was there uh, still talks fondly about it because it was one of those. The first time is always the best time, uh, and there will never be another first World Cup uh, for Ireland. I'd always be grateful to Jack Charlton for picking me for that first trip in Iceland. Uh, for, for getting on the plane for Jen because I wasn't playing with Arsenal I got on I got on in 88 because I had impressed in training not because I'd impressed with Arsenal and the same thing then by 1990 I had gone to Man City for a few months beforehand but to get my seat on the plane for those three trips Iceland Germany and uh, Italia 90 that, that that shaped my life and I, I'd be eternally grateful Ireland under Charlton went on to contest the 1994 World Cup in the USA where they beat the Italians in the first game before eventually going out to the Netherlands in the last 16 Charlton resigned after failing to get the squad to the 1996 European Finals. I'm a minor son from the northeast of England who spent a lifetime in football and they gave me a job to do over here which was produce a team that could get results and, and, and bring people into the games. The results have been okay. We've, we think we've pleased the people of Ireland and uh, the fact that the people of Ireland like me is great. I love that. I mean, it's not that I like being popular. I would be a liar if I said I didn't. Um, it's got its drawbacks, but that's one of the things that we, we accept. Canonization. You couldn't have done that to me anyway, I'm a Protestant. <laughs>